If you will, open up to Luke chapter 1. We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning, continuing on, progressing toward the birth of Christ. And we have looked, we've looked at this series entitled, Announcements, Visits, and Showers. We're expecting a baby. Now, I'm not expecting a baby. The first time I said that, I had some people look up here like, what's going on? But no, that's not happening. But we're expecting Jesus to be born because obviously it's the Word of God and that's what happened. So we're progressing toward that this month. Uh, as we have looked through, we followed through so much following the story of Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias. And here we find ourselves, Mary has visited Elizabeth. They both are overjoyed and they are excited about what the Lord is doing in their lives for their people, the Jewish people. They have been waiting for 400 years to hear from the Lord, to hear what he's going to do next. And so we have this message that has come to, to Zacharias to begin with, and then he told Elizabeth, and then the angel came to Mary, and uh, now Mary went to visit Elizabeth. We were talking about visits last week. And from that visit, we get this grand account, and we know this as best recorded as the Magnificat. I say that we know this best this way. It's Mary's song. And many songs have been written in Latin that is derived from this called the Magnificat. And how is that that way? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But as we read this passage of Scripture, I hope you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And this is the song of Mary. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house so we, we read this text, this is Mary's song, and many read this song of Mary simply as a devotional to see what they can, to see what it means to them or how they may apply this scripture to their own lives. That would not be an accurate reading or application of the text. It's not just for that reason. It's not just a devotional. It can be, but that's not the whole of it by any sense of the means. Some others read this as a manifesto to revolution. You read through there, you can see that. You absolutely can see that. Which is possible, but not in the actions of man, but in the person of Christ. This is not a revolution that you and I turn. This is a revolution that God turns. And in reading this manifesto as for revolution by man, accomplishing these things are impossible by man because these are God's accomplishments. These are things that only God can really bring about. And these are the most revolutionary words ever spoken. <clears throat> excuse me, through the Messiah, the mighty will be brought low, the humble, the lowly will be exalted. 
William Temple, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury. He warned his missionaries to, England, uh, to India to never read the Magnificat in public. Christians were already suspect in that country, and they were cautioned against reading verses so inflammatory. As you read through that, you'll see that. As I wrote, read that just a moment ago, and as we read that again here, as we break the text down just in a moment. But Mary was inspired by the Holy Spirit in circumstances, circumstances surrounding her there in Elizabeth's home and by Elizabeth's blessing. She was overwhelmed. And from that, she proclaims a song from the mercy expressed to her by God that calls toward the work of Christ. Today, we will observe Mary's leading to her praise. We'll observe Mary's mercy that led to her gaze to where she looked. And then we'll also notice how this uh, led to Mary's place as she was led to recognize God's traits. And I know that rhymes and I don't normally do that, but it just fit, okay? But that's what we're going to be looking to. How Mary's salvation led to her praise. Mary's mercy led to her gaze and how Mary's place led to her to recognize God's traits. So let's dig in right here, verses 46 through 47. We see how Mary's salvation led to her praise. Look at what she says here. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit <clears throat> has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, the name of the song which Mary sings is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. When sung in Latin, the first line is translated, Magnificat anima mea dominum. Now, you've probably heard that sung before. When we were in high school, we had to sing through our choir, uh, our robe choir, or was it acapella choir? I can't remember. Acapella choir. There was a book about that thick. I don't know if you're on podcast, you're not going to hear this, see this, but it was about a half inch thick, all in Latin, and we sang it. Now, I'm not going to sing any of it to you right now. But if you catch me after church, you may catch me humming it because I'm preaching on it right now. But we had to sing that whole book, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. I had a great time singing it. But that was all Latin, and this is what this is derived from. And, and this song that Mary sung is modeled after the song of Hannah that we find in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, because she was desiring that. She was rejoicing in the promised gift of her own son. Hannah was. And now we see Mary rejoicing in the promised son of hers. And the hymn was not addressed, uh, though, to either Elizabeth or the Lord. It is rather a meditation upon the mercy and grace of God. Mary says in that first line, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. In her soul or spirit, in her innermost being, Mary praises or magnifies the Lord and rejoices in Him as her Savior. Now, that's a big deal for us. I mean, it, Mary's song begins on a note of salvation. And, and she acknowledges her dependence on God. Her words are comparable to that that we find in Habakkuk, who came through his trials rejoicing in God his Savior, Habakkuk 3.18. And note in the beginning of the Magnificat, by praising God my Savior, Mary answered the Roman Catholic dogma of the Immaculate Conception which holds that from the moment of her conception, Mary was, by God's grace, kept free from all taint of original sin. But I want you to understand this. 
Only sinners need a Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. And she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary was a sinner needing saving just like you and I. What is, what is the difference here? There's not much difference. The, pro, the, the, the difference is time frame, obviously. <laughs> We're in different generations here. But the difference is the submission to the will of God. When we have been called out by God for salvation and as a vessel to be used for his glory and his kingdom's sake, we too should magnify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior. And how often we forget the unfathomable riches of God's grace. We often move past the joy of our salvation. We often, how often we allow the miraculous to become the mundane. We let that happen too often. Too often our rejoicing is lost from our spirit. Too often our rejoicing is lost from our spirit. So how can we keep our joy? Well, we must do as Mary did. We got to keep our gaze on Christ. We got to keep our gaze on God, our Savior. So Mary's Mary's salvation led to her praise, but Mary's mercy led to her gaze. Look there in verses 48 through the first part of verse 49. Mary says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, as we look at this, Mary was appreciative of God's looking on her in mercy. And, and she saw this and she was grateful. Mary's hope probably does not, it's not a call to where she was in her lowly status, social status. The word does not usually convey the word of humiliated. She's not humiliated. This is a humbling realization when we, <clears throat> when we too realize that the God of all creation looks down on us and calls us and chooses us for his kingdom and his glory. That is humbling. And it should be humbling. A mighty God, the creator of all things, speaks down upon us, calls us by grace in his mercy to be used by him for whatever he sees fit. That should be humbling. And in that we recognize, we turn our gaze to him and we say something similar as Mary did. He's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. God looked upon me in my lowliness. And that's not like he's not looking at my social status. He's looking at my soul. Without Christ, I am in a lowly status. But through Christ, I'm lifted to different places. I am not who I was. I am now in a new place with a new definition. Scripture tells us in Psalm 40, verse 2, it says that out of the pit and out of the miry clay, God has lifted me up and placed me on a solid rock, and He has guided my steps. He has changed my location. And not only has he changed my location, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.8, he's changed literally who I am. Ephesians 5.8 tells us that you were once darkness. It doesn't say you were once in darkness. You were once darkness. But now through Christ you are light by the Son of God. Your location has changed. Your definition has been changed. And we should be humbled by such a statement and moving 
of God. But we move on past sometimes, don't we? We move past the joy of our salvation. We've got to keep our gaze on our Savior. But we get distracted and we look everywhere else and we want something else to tell us where we should be and we want something else to tell us who we should be. But if we'll look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, He is the one who tells us where we are. He tells us who we are. But if you try to define yourself by other people's definitions, you're looking to a, a, poor, uh, a poor definition of who you are. It might be a definition of your past, but it's not a definition of who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. That's who you are in Christ. And Mary sees that God says this to her. And she says, he's regarded this, the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Daryl Bach, in his commentary, he wrote, Mary will be honored from now on by all generations, not because she is special, but because she is the model and representative of what it is to experience God's grace and mercy. She's experienced it. And if you're a believer today, you have to. You have to. Have you ever experienced God's grace and mercy? You can today. We're going to have that in, in just a little while. And just as I read that from Psalm 40, verse 2, and, and, Isaiah, and Ephesians 5, 8, you may also have a change of location and a change of definition of who you are. But because Mary's salvation led to her praise and Mary's mercy that she experienced by God the Father changed her gaze because she kept her eyes on him. Now Mary's place, because her location has changed, Mary's place led her to recognize God's traits. Now when we say traits, we could talk about his attributes, his characteristics. That's what we're talking about. God's characteristics, his traits that are, that are there with him all the time, everywhere. And God's name is, look there in verse 49, the latter part of verse 49. Mary recognizes, and she says, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. God's name is, according to the common ancient meaning, his whole reputation or character. It's his whole reputation or character. That's God's name. And his name is holy. Holy. And holiness, this attribute or trait of God, is the leading and defining attribute or traits of any of his. It is the trait of God. In Isaiah, <clears throat> we recollect the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and forever will be. This characteristic is the only one given in a triad of proclamation. It's the only one. He is altogether separate by his purity, yet he altogether carried our sin. So when God the Father looked on him, the Father saw our sin. And when the Father looks on us, he sees his Son. He is altogether holy. Holiness is the trait that begins at the beginning. In the beginning, God alone, separate, holy created the heavens and the earth. 
There was nothing, but there was God. Why is that? Because he is holy. He's holy. And there's none like him. Nowhere ever has, is, or ever will be. He is alone in who he is. He is God alone. Perfect in all aspects. Powerful in all aspects. Omniscient in all aspects. Omnipresent, omnipresent in all aspects. He is God alone. There's no one like him. And there will never be another like him. There'll never be another like Jesus as well. He is holy. And we find God speaking to Moses in Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. I'm set apart. I'm different. You are my people. You be set apart. You be different. God does not call us to, to just kind of blend into the culture. He calls us to stand out. Just as God was separate in the beginning, we too should be separate, be different. It doesn't mean that you be absent from them because God is not absent from us today, is he? No. He's still engaged. He's still working. But yet he's still holy and separate. He's got his standards. We too as believers need to be in the world but not of the world. I know you've heard that said before. That's who we've got to be. We've got to be holy and separate, different. Defining characteristics of us should be because they come from the Father who has, we have modeled and looked up to and lived after. Just as a child grows up and they have so many of the common traits of their parents, whether it be the way they talk or the way they walk or their mannerisms. You know, we, Julie and I, we were talking to a, a, one of our previous students the other day, and, uh, and we just couldn't help but notice this young lady I mean, if you could, I mean, seriously, in every aspect of this young lady, you could see her mama and her daddy. Her talk, her conversation, her mannerisms with her hands, everything. I mean, there's no doubt she was the child of her mother and father. Can people say that about us? There's no doubt we are a child of the king. Because our words, our actions, our mannerisms are so much like God the Father. The people say, there's no way that person's anything other than a child of God. And that's going to show you how separate you are, how you're set apart, how we're holy. So when we hear God referring to himself as holy, the angels also crying out his holiness, and us being compelled to be holy as he is, we conclude that holy is the defining trait of God. So just as Mary acknowledges God's holiness, we too should acknowledge and act accordingly. And act accordingly. And then we see there in verse 50. Mary says, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So the first trait that we looked at was God's holiness. The second one is God's mercy. God is merciful. And God's mercy in this particular text is the prevailing trait in this song. Mary is glorifying God because he has shown mercy on her. Who knows where Mary would have been without God's working and choosing of her and then her submission to God's will, where she would have been. Would we even know Mary's name? I don't know. Mary, did you know? Or did we know Mary? <laughs> you know, we think about that song. We probably wouldn't have known her. 
But God chose her in his mercy. He chose her, and he had a plan for her to be used. The scripture points out how God pours out his mercy on those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. We have got to fear the Lord. And that doesn't mean, this, this, it's, it's, it's a fear of reverence, knowing who he is. He is holy. To him, uh, as holy is to know to reverence him, excuse me. To know him as holy is to know to reverence him. Let me read that sentence correctly. I wrote, to know him as holy is to know to reverence him. To know that he is set apart is to reverence him. And, and, and that from that fear, he, he shows his mercy on us. Because we recognize where he is. We recognize his authority, which we'll talk about in just a moment, and his strength. And he bestows mercy on us. God said to Moses, as recalled by Paul in Romans 9, 15 through 16, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It's God's choice to show mercy on whom he will. And like I said, what made Mary special? The fact that she submitted to the will of God and she was used by God and God bestowed his mercy on him, on her. That's what made her special. God gives mercy on whomever he chooses, compassion on whomever he chooses. And God chooses on whom he will give mercy. Mary realizes that. And in his grace that he chooses to show mercy. It is also not by what we do nor what we do not do. But by God to whom and when that mercy is chosen to be expressed, God gives mercy, and it should be appreciated. Verse 50 again, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's look at verses 51 through 52. 51 to 52 says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the holy. Here's two other traits that we find of God. It's God's strength and his authority. There in verses 51 and 52. You know, I can only imagine Mary thinking on the great poems of David taught to her in her youth when she, was, uh, when she spoke these lines. She had to have recalled Psalm 27.1, which says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, young Jewish children were being taught the Psalms when they were young. It was something being ingrained in them over and over and over again. So I know this had to be on her mind, thinking about God has chosen me. He's shown his mercy to me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here's this young middle school girl carrying the Messiah, the Son of God, knowing this is not acceptable in the community, knowing she could be stoned to death. But she said, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the strength of my life. That's who he is. And we too can and should recall Scripture to help us in praise and prayer all throughout our lives. 
Scripture tells us to write his word on our hearts so we won't sin against him. That's what we need to do. When the children are learning their memory verses, when they're learning the books of the Bible and we put them on the screen or they stand down here, listen, that is fantastic because God forbid something come into their life that's tragic and they have, and they have to turn to something, but hopefully, prayerfully, that they will be able to turn to something stable and sure and true and that being the Word of God. Because it's been instilled in them, not just here, once or twice a week, but every day in your homes. We've got to be teaching the Word of God to our children. Because if not, when they come to these tragedies, these hardships and trials, they're not going to know the Word of God. And what are they going to turn to? They're going to turn to friends that may not give them godly advice they may turn to alcohol or drugs or, or all different types of things, but they don't turn to the Word. They don't turn to God. They don't turn to the church. And we've got to be a church that when people do turn, because a lot of people are real hesitant, when they do turn to the church, that in grace and mercy that we've been shown by God, in grace and mercy we show that back to them. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. They're like, I, I don't know. I, I've been cast out. I've been cast down upon. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that you say, oh, your behavior is acceptable. We say this. We love you in your hardship. And we want to help you through that. So you may have life as Christ desires us to have life. Sober-minded, all these things. We want you to have those things. So you can make wise decisions for your life. And the wise decision you can make is to confess Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised us up from the dead. And turn to him and turn away from all other idols that are out there in this world today because there's plenty of them. Turn away from him. Turn away from those things. He has the strength to be able to bring you back up. I think also, again, that same psalm, David concludes Psalm 27. He writes this. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, for he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I would say that Mary, both spiritually and literally, was waiting on the Lord. And in the waiting, the Lord was strengthening her for a great service to the kingdom. She was waiting spiritually, and literally she was waiting on the Lord because she was going to give birth to him. You know, she was literally waiting on the Lord. But at the same time, she was trusting in God, her Savior. She was trusting in God, her Savior. Maybe you today have been challenged by the Lord with a task. It's a big task. Pray and ask the Lord for courage. Ask for his strengthening in your heart and wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. David again calls out to God's trait of strength while in his own weakness, David did. Just as we observe Mary in a similar situation, David wrote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's Psalm 46, 1 and 2. Listen, we see these traits of God. And he calls out and he says, he is, David says, God is our refuge and strength. You, I wonder how many times, and, and I'm sure every single prayer of Mary is not recorded in, in, the, in the Gospels. But I'm sure Mary went back to God over and over and over again. While she was carrying baby Jesus. And it's shortly thereafter. I mean, you know, I always recollect this line from the nativity story when Joseph says to Mary, he says, I wonder if I'll ever teach him anything. 
You know, I mean, this is the Son of God. I mean, what a humbling task to have Joseph and Mary. I'm sure she went back to, 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 to God the Father as her refuge and her strength. And therefore, she will not fear. And even though all these things happen, she is not going to turn away. Just as Mary knew who had the power to do great things in defense of the weak, we too know him as well. We must recognize that power begins outside of us in Christ, but yet dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. That power is there for us. And God's authority, we see that also. God has the authority to give to whom he chooses. Mary is recalling the work of God throughout the Old Testament and about how God's people in their lowly state have been lifted to a grander status. But this also carries with it a future thought of what Jesus Christ will do later on. It carries that same thought. And though what is said here is true of God in all time, his actual vindication of the poor comes with full certainty in the future. We see that, like I said, 51 and 52. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. In this line of Mary's song, we could quickly gauge this only toward governmental thrones and status. We could. But we also can understand that God casts down the proud and exalts the humble. We see that in verse 51. Mary could see how this could come about in the future. And we can also see where she believes this will be great for the Jewish people. Yet I don't think she really comprehends that her exalting will not come from her own people, from her own Jewish culture while she's living. I don't think she realizes that. I believe she thinks that, oh, man, they're going to realize this is the Messiah. And, oh, they're going to call me blessed. Oh, man, those people, they were not happy. Now, I think those people that were closest around her, they rejoiced with her over the birth of Jesus. But there were many who still despised her. She, made a, she proclaimed that the Holy Spirit gave this child to her. Let's just see. Let's just wait and see. Because you know you got people who are doubters. God calls you to do something. And they say, I don't know if God really called them to do that. I don't know about that. They doubt you. Listen, what you need to do is just keep going to the Lord. Keep going to the Lord. Trust Him. Wait on the Lord. Let him strengthen your heart. Do what God's called you to do. Everybody's not called to the exact same thing. But there is one thing that is called directly of all of us, and that is to make him known in all the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But how we do that is different based upon personality, characteristics of who you are, where you are, when you are, all of that. But God... God knows there's going to be doubters. And I'm sure around Mary there were doubters. But listen, <clears throat> she probably thought that this was going to come from her local people. But that, that didn't happen. But, it, but that exalting came from God and from those like us who accept Christ for who he is, Lord of all. That's where her exalting comes from. Now obviously we don't exalt Mary above Christ because Christ is the son of God. Not, not just the son of Mary. He's the son of Mary and the son of God. And, and to combine those two, he uses, the, he uses the, which is his favorite way of referring to himself, as the son of man. That's an Old Testament Jeremiah language that he uses, talking about him and his deity, but yet also in his humanity when he refers to himself as son of man. He is 
Lord of all. Look at God's supply, verse 53. Verse 53 says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You know, God supplied manna in the desert for the Israelites as they came out of Egypt there in Exodus 16 and also recalled in Deuteronomy 8.3. So God will continue to deliver those who humble themselves before him. Mary heard how the Lord had met needs in the past and knew that this child would do the same just as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 107.9 when the psalmist wrote, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. I thought that was amazing, that language and how, it, how, how much it goes right back. For he has filled the hungry with good things. It doesn't say he fills them with food right then, does it? Mary says he fills them with good things. Our hunger is for good things. And all good things come down from the Father of lights. That's what Scripture says. So it's anything that God chooses to give us. We should hunger for those things. Scripture tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we should hunger and thirst for. There's other things that we desire as well. But that should be the primary desire of the believer's heart. Is righteousness a right Walk with God. And the psalmist said, For he satisfies the longing soul. Does your soul long for the good things of God? Does your soul long for those things? You've got an Amazon wish list that you've been longing for. Are you longing for Jesus? Are you putting a list for Jesus? I want to I excel here. I want to grow here. I want to see God bless here. I want to see my neighbor saved here. Are those things on your Jesus wish list, if you will? We got those Amazon wish lists, and we update them regularly. Maybe we need to update our wish list of Jesus and pray and say, God, we just want, we want you to supply these things. Supply the good things, the truly good things, the things that will not rust or rot or, or moth and Moths come in and these break in and still we want the good things that last for eternity. That's what we desire, the longing of our hearts. You know, so many Old Testament accounts of truths about the traits of God must have been passed down because we can hear them all throughout the Song of Mary. We hear all this in the Song of Mary. Listen to Isaiah 49.10. Isaiah wrote, They shall neither hunger nor thirst Neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. Mary, Mary was not illiterate to the Bible. She was not ignorant of the teachings of the Bible. It's what was taught in the home. We hear Isaiah, we hear the Psalms, we hear all these different scriptures poured out through Mary's song of praise over the fact that God showed mercy on her. When God shows mercy on you, when God has shown mercy on a family member, where is your praise coming from? Where is your praise coming from? You know, music is so vital to the life of children. It is. And young people all together, all teenagers and young adults. When we consider the music that is sung and allowed in the lives of our children today, does it honor God? Does it honor God? If God calls them, blesses them, and challenges them, will they know songs of praise in regard to their circumstance? I don't know. I'm like a walking hymnal 
and our contemporary CCLI or CCM. You know, I, I know I know music. I know songs. I, that's all I, my, my whole life. I'd get off the school bus, and my cousin said it would drive him crazy because I'd be singing as I walked down the street from the school bus stop to the house. I knew every jingle on the TV. And he'd say, ah, here's Blake, Blake coming home. And, and I, I've just sung my whole life. I love to sing. Why is that? Because I got joy in my heart. And my joy does not reside from anything else other than the fact that Jesus has saved me. Jesus has saved me. And, and when we think about children and we think about these things, we have got to be implanting the word of God however we can into their hearts and minds so that when, like I said earlier in the sermon, when those circumstances arise, that's what's pulled out of them. You know, it's like I've, I've heard a pastor say, when, when you want to purify silver, you heat it up and the dross comes to the top. Well, what comes out of the top? What's going to come when you're put under pressure? What's going to come to the top when you're put under pressure? Let the word of God come up in you. Let it, let it rise up like a fountain overflowing. That's the way that needs to happen. Those, those good things that's, that's been settled in your heart, those pillars of faith, pillars of the word, is there in your heart and in your soul, not your literal heart, but your soul and your spirit, as Mary said. That should rise up within you. Not Leonard Skinner or ACDC or any of this kind of stuff like that or, or whatever else, Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> whatever's coming up in your heart. Okay, that's sad, right? If, if Billy Ray Cyrus is coming up in your heart. Anyway. I don't know if y'all saw him in the Dolly Parton thing. Wow, that was creepy. But anyway, um, but <laughs> you, need to be, you need to have the Word of God and songs of Jesus coming up in your heart. All right, if you didn't see it, you got to go check it out now. you got to check it out. I mean, his hair is like down to here. Anyway, he looks weird. But um, sorry, I got distracted. I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good today. Ben Ray Cyrus will distract anybody, won't he? All right, so... <laughs> God supplies these things for us, you know, and he's a good God. The Holy Scriptures, they're vital. Uh, they're vitally important to invest in our children. Listen to how Mary incorporates so many Old Testament writings into her emotion and song. So let's read the Word of God with our children. Let's read the Word of God with our children. You know, John records Christ's words in his gospel where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the great supplier. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And Mary wrote that he has filled the hungry with good things. There's nothing better to be filled with than the Holy Spirit after you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. What a great feeling. We ate a supper last night. It was a good supper, but it's nothing compared to when I'm I'm, 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 I've confessed my sins and God's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness and the Holy Spirit's got full use of who I am because sin is not bogging down his work and then I am, I am filled with him because sin's not cluttering his space and then he can use me and I can go out and do great things for him not for me but for him it's awesome and the ultimate fulfilling of Mary's song, as we read this, is found in Revelation 7, 16 and 17. Because this is at the end of time. It says, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Why is this? For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear. 
from their eyes. What a day that'll be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. What a great day that'll be. Mary's mercy led to her gaze. She was looking at the Lord. And because Mary's place had been changed, she was recognizing God's traits. This is so wonderful. There's nothing better. Uh, or, in, or in terrible English, more good than being shepherded for eternity by the good shepherd. There's nothing better. He leads me beside still waters. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. That's who he is. And I'll have that for all of eternity. He is the great supplier. And he's also faithful. Let's look at these last few verses quickly. Verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God even recalls his mercy, and he recalls it on Israel as he spoke to our fathers, our father who is Abraham, and to his seed forever. forever. Coming from that last verse we reference from Revelation in verses 54 and 55, we see God's faithfulness through eternity. We see he's faithful through eternity. Mary looks back there in 54 and 55 while in hope looking forward. And that's what we do. When we look on the word of God, we're looking back. And while in hope, we're looking forward. These verses emphasize the faithfulness of God to his ancient promises, which Mary sees fulfilled in her son. In Mary's song, she references the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 15, 5. Then God brought Abraham outside and said, Look, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you can, if you can number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. So when Mary is saying this, he remembers his mercy. His mercy is to Abraham and his seed forever. This is a song driven by a, by a thread of mercy. Understanding the holiness of God and knowing that he is faithful. It's who he is. Through faith in Jesus, Father Abraham was going to have many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. But Abraham was not the gift. Abraham was not the gift. The grace or the fulfillment of righteousness. Jesus was and is and forever will be. He is the gift. He is the gift. Jesus is the true and better Adam. The true and better Abraham. The true and better Moses. The true and better Noah. And the true and better David. Jesus is who you and I need. Jesus is who the lost and broken need. Jesus is who everyone in this sin sick world needs in their lives. Mary knew the world needed Jesus, and you and I need Jesus. He has everything you and I need. He is holy, and we need holiness. He is merciful, and we need mercy. He is strong and in control, and we need his strength and lordship. He is all-supplying. We need supplication. He is faithful. We need faithfulness. Listen to Deuteronomy 7.9. It is written, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is. God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. Today we have a need, and that need is Jesus. Mary sung about her son as her own Savior. Today you and I have sung about him as well. But what are you going to do with him in your heart? 
What are you going to do with Jesus Christ?